Blog Talk Radio. Writer Show, all about the funk of writing. I'm your host and navigator, Robert Batista, author of the seminal novel, Brooklyn Story, and powerful novella, Carmela's Dream. The Funky Writer Show has been called the most informative, eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and literati, now celebrating seven years of Dynamic Writers Talk Radio. Why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. Ooh, hold on to your hats. It's going to be a funky show today. Today's exciting guest bills himself as an award-winning writer of post-it notes, shopping lists, jumbled up phone numbers, holder of a black belt and highlighter pen and broken pencils, recent receiver of the Golden Wasteman Award for Mutilated Manuscripts, consistent high achiever in the realms of failure. I love that one. <laughs> Deluded moron, foolish enough to think anything he's written is worth reading. Live from the UK, it's Mick Mears. Welcome, Mick, to the Funky yeah. Writer Show. Hey, Robert, we got there. We got there. We got there. How you oh, doing? Oh, man. We sure did, Mick. Oh, man, this is so fantastic. Mick, so good having you on the Funky Writer Show, man. You don't it's know. It's good to be here, man. Let's it's good to be here. I'm loving it. Let's, yeah, let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your life's journey, Mick, and how you got to where you are today. Mm. I don't know, that sounds a bit boring, really, because that's pretty much the same as most writers, I think, you know? Uh, I don't know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know how to go about that. I mean, I could start right at the beginning, and I, I just think I just think that would be boring, really, to tell the truth. I mean, I'm a writer, that's it, I just write. So, you know, how I start, I don't think it matters. The fact is, I'm doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can understand that, Mick, uh, but you know what, what's... what's one man's floor is another man's ceiling, right? So you may think it's boring, but I do, I sure doesn't. I've been I sure don't. I've been checking you out. I've been checking out stuff you've written. Our audience, I'm sure, is is excited to hear about what you've done. So 
you know, I really don't think it's boring, but we'll go ahead and we'll continue. Mick, you have a smorgasbord of books you've written, but one jumps out at me. It's called Elements of Banking. What is the germinating beginnings behind this story, and why did you write this book? Right, now this is an interesting one, because um, I used to work in a bank. I used to work for Barclays Bank a long, long time ago. Barclays, and I really okay. hate it. Yeah, that's an English bank. I don't know if you've got Bar- Barclays. Yeah, I know there all is about Barclays. Barclays. Uh-huh. Good, good. Well, and I used to work for them years ago, and it was just a horrible, horrible environment. And uh, and, and, and there were people that had been there for a long time. It, it was all office politics and that kind of thing. So the inspiration from, for the book obviously come from directly working in branch banking. Um, uh, it... it this book never. This book surprises me because, in all honesty, and I've posted this on my website, that book came so close to just being thrown away. I just, I, I just didn't like it. it. To me, it didn't work. I, I thought it was uninteresting. The first review I ever got on Amazon was a two-star review for that book, and I really thought, oh no, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. Subsequently, that book seems to do better than most of my others, and that was. I think that was the that was the second novel that was the second novel that I wrote, and I, I, that that's it basically, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? Uh, we had a severe, severe financial crisis in 2008 here in the country of America, and I, I believe it was almost worldwide. So it when was you worldwide, say bankers, yes, yeah, and when you use the term bankers. A lot of people don't like that terminology. A lot of people don't like bankers in general. So um, in your basic working at the bank, do you, can you figure out why? And can, you, can it be understandable why some people detest uh, the bankers in the banking field? Well, totally, yeah. I mean, I fully understand it. But, I mean, that aside, I was actually in branch banking. And what, what a lot of people do forget is is when when you refer to bankers, you're talking about the top notch. You're talking about the people that we never see. You're not talking about the guy that works behind the counter. Those people, those people that are innocent, they're just caught up in the corporate mess, you know. So, uh, and and I I was very much I, I was very much on the low level side. I was no high flying bank or anything like that. But the book, what the book tries to get across is the politics, the politics of banking, the the, the, the politics of how it, how, how it dehumanizes people's souls but the people that work there and the idea of the book was that the guy doesn't he can't foresee himself being in that job for the next 35 40 years without going completely nuts so his only way to redeem himself is by somehow working out the perfect crime where he can steal money from the bank and never get found out well he does do the job obviously because he has inside knowledge but the end of the story i I, I mean I, i won't give it away but at the, at the end of the day, that's what the book is about. That's what the book is trying to get across. And at the time, I was, I was in my, I was in my early twenties, and I tried to write it as a forty-five-year-old that had been in the bank for say twenty-five, thirty years. And I think I caught that. I think I caught that. Well, I think I must have done. Otherwise, people wouldn't find it interesting. Put it that way. <laughs> so, so that leads me to my next question, Mick. How was this book received, and uh, what type of feedback did you get on this book? You mentioned somebody gave it a two-star review, but what other feedback did you get? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, quite a bit. Um, um, 
a lot of people seem, for some reason, a lot of people seem to, to, to link to the character or link to the environment in which the character works in, i.e. working in a kind of professional job, but dead boring, dead boring. You just don't know what to do with the day. You know, it's, it's all petty routines, petty politics, petty hierarchy, etc., etc. And most of the people that, 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 that enjoyed that book seem to somehow have come also from that environment and felt that, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what it's like. This guy's nailed it, and, and I agree with what he's saying. That's, uh, that's the impression I get from the feedback I've had. Right, right. So it sounds like you hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah, and, and the story, your protagonist, Nigel Ward, suffers a nervous yeah. breakdown and has a broken marriage. Wow. I wonder if one led yeah. to the other. He blames well, these misfortunes on his employment, yet he's been at the firm for 20 years. Is he just looking for scapegoats, or does he have an actual beef? Oh, well, both, both, yeah. He's, he's looking for scapegoats. He's got a beef. He's probably not brave enough or strong enough to break out of the job anyway, for whatever reason. And jobs like that trap you. I mean, the, 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 there's a, a one point I put across is that somebody that works in a bank, um, there are, I don't know if the rules are the same now, but if they got any kind of finance or mortgage, it always had to be done through the bank that they were working with. I.e., right. if you work for Barclays, you wasn't allowed to get credit anywhere else. Likewise, if you wanted to buy a house, you had to get your mortgage through the bank. Now, the bank would also give you a discounted mortgage rate. It was a perk of the job, Yeah. Now, if you left the bank's employment, your mortgage rate would then go up to the market rate. So that was another way that they trapped you in the job. So, so uh, when you worked at the bank, Mick, and I don't know if your story, story is set at this Barclays Bank, was this bank located in the city of London or was it located outside the city of London? It, it, it was in, it was, it's in what's called Greater London, so it's not Central London. I mean, if you were to draw an analogy between New, New York, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be slap bang in the middle of Times Square. It'd be sitting out slightly in the suburbs. Yeah? Oh, okay, because what I mean by the city of London, I understand within London, within London, there is the city of London, where the That's banking correct, yeah. uh, is, is basically, you know, headquartered and, you know, where everything is everything. And I just wanted to know if he worked in that city of London. But now you're saying he was working no. on the outskirts of London. Yeah, I would have been working in, in basically a suburban branch. So, so, it, so the, the, the subject of the matter wouldn't be dealing with a high-flying banker. It's dealing got with it. an ordinary Joe who's got an ordinary job behind a counter. Yeah, yeah, and still that already ordinary Joe has extraordinary issues and problems. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. One, one five-star Amazon review from David about this book states in part, this book is so packed it overflows with everything a great book needs to keep it afloat. This author never fails to thrill me with the prose so needed to whet my literary appetite. A brilliant book from a brilliant mind. Wow. Um, brilliant is a powerful <laughs> descriptive word, wouldn't you say, Mick? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you don't know. You, 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 you cannot guess. You cannot guess a public's opinion. You cannot guess what they like, and you should never try to do so. All you can do is write what you feel is right. 
And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. You know, and 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 that's that's generally generally the way that I look at it. You know, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me how how I might write a book and there'll be a certain part of that book that I think, yeah, I've nailed it. I've got I've got something here, a, a certain quote or or a particular chapter. And people miss it. They completely miss it. And they latch onto something else, which you might have put in as a throwaway comment or a throwaway line or even a throwaway character. And people will come out of nowhere and lap it up. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you and I are kindred spirits in that way, Mick. We write for ourselves. There's two schools of authors that write write for themselves and write for the masses. I write for myself. If I like it, then that's good. Then I will put it out there. And I've had success yeah. with it. And it looks like you had a lot of success with it also. But I still feel there are two. There are some authors who don't write for themselves, but write to for the masses to see if they can get the book read. Yeah, and they're idiots. They're complete idiots. They're they're, going, they're barking up the wrong tree. You know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So Mick, you have several other stories you've published, including Shortcuts, The Ghost of yep. Bell Lane. Grumble Bullock, and another book that's also intrigued me immensely. It's called A Spectator's War. As one Uh reviewer called it, a tale of innocence lost where the protagonist, Steve, has intense experiences while serving in the Falklands War. Mick, my first question is on this is, is this story in any way autobiographical? Uh, Yes, parts, but not the war scenes. Okay, okay. So, uh, all right, you weren't in those war scenes, and that wasn't autobiographical, but a lot of the other parts of the book were. Yes, yes, yes. All the war scenes are drawn from imagination and and a lot of research, a heck of a lot of research. So the character, and and, um, it's quite a complicated book in that what a lot of people don't understand is that the actual war scenes, which are based on real incidents which happened during the Falklands War and during the Falklands Crisis, those scenes are effectively imagined by the protagonist in order that he can win the girl. He wants to believe that he can get the girl, and he can only get the girl by being a hero. So he he imagines himself as being a hero in the Falklands War. But not a lot of people actually quite get that twist. So the beginning of the book and the end of the book are set, set in present time at a wedding. And it's at a wedding of, of this guy's, I think it's, it's more or less his first love. So that's how the relationship spins through, spins through the plot of the book. So um, the Falklands War, I remember, was between Britain and Argentina. Uh, over That's the Falkland Islands uh, yes. years ago, again. So, um, and I think the book's cover looks like a depiction of the Falkland Islands on the cover. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Right, right, right. So your protagonist is basically trying to do a Walter Mitty and build himself up as a hero uh, in that war, even though he didn't fight in the war. Is that it? That's correct. That's correct. That's that's spot on. That's spot on, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. The idea was. Um, that's, go ahead. Well, the idea of calling it a spectators' war was uh, at the time when it was going on in this country. Obviously, the war was like five thousand miles away, so we right. were having news bulletins every five minutes telling us what was going on, what ships had been sunk, how many people had been killed, 
blah, 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 blah. So effectively, we had 24-hour news bulletins at a time when there wasn't 24-hour TV. So the idea of calling it a spectator's war is it's, the, a, war, it's a war that we, as the British, all viewed from a, from a long distance. Very, very few of us had any idea even where the Falklands War were. And it, I put in the book that most that the people thought the Falkland Islands were actually just outside Scotland. It was only after about a week of, of announcing war that people realised that they were actually 5,000 miles away. That's how crazy right. the war was. So, Mick, uh, on the Funky Writer Show, the author is just as important as what he writes. So, Mick, let's talk a little background about you, um, the person. Um, where are you originally from? Where did you grow up? And uh, what books did you enjoy when you were younger? Uh, right. I've, I've, I've always been a Londoner. Um, I was born in London. Um, I was born in South London. I spent a lot of time in North London. I've now, I, I, and I now live back again in South London in, in Greenwich, which is like a really lovely place to be. I can't see myself living anywhere else in the world apart from possibly New York. That's how much I, I like this place. <laughs> there's, always, there's always something to do. If, if you're bored, then you've got to be a retard. Simple as that. Um, <laughs> I hear you, Mick. Definitely. So, so, so Mick, so, let's, sorry, let's I've, I've lost track of the questions now. What was the rest of them? Far away. <laughs> so let's talk about how you became a writer, how you got into writing, and your love for writing. Did you always have it as a child? How did? And you said, um, you know, what was your first book, and how did you get that book published? What was your first story? Right, my first, my first novel, my first novel was a book called White, which is spelled W H Y T E, and what right. it is the 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 the, the, the um. The reason for the title is it's, it's a combination of white the colour and why the words. So the protagonist is, is always asking why, and the, the white represents a lot of Im imagery within the book. Now, the book's really pretentious. It's very naive. I wrote it when I was about... Uh, I think I finished it when I was about 17 or 18. And... and, and I never, I never sent it to a publisher. I self-published it. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't. I don't, I don't think it's got any. It's got one review. It's got one three-star review on it, if I, if, if, if I'm right. And it, and it's a very, it's a very, very hard book to get your head around, really. I think, in all honesty, because the language, the, 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 the language is quite tenuous. The descriptions are, 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 are weird. The, the, the structure takes a lot of getting, takes, takes a lot of understanding. But the point of putting the book out was that's the period that I was going through when I was, say, 16, 17 years old. So the way I look at it is if a kid out there now of that age picks up that book and links into how I was thinking and feeling at that stage and can feel something, some affinity towards that book, then the book's done its job. If someone else reads it and right. thinks it's a load of pretentious crap, that's fine by me. I really don't mind right. because they don't have to read it, you know? Right, definitely, definitely. So, okay, so um, like you said, or like I wanted to know also is like, you know, how did you get into writing? Now, you know, you've been called a great writer. I've seen so many great reviews that you've gotten. How did you get into it? Did you always love to write as a child, or did you just... Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's word? it. Well, 
I've I've always liked writing. Yeah, simple as that. Right. And when I was when I was younger, I used to read like stuff at school. And to be honest, a lot of it a lot of it I thought was just boring. I really did. Um, we 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 done some good stuff. We done stuff like Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, Alan Silito, right. uh, Gulliver's Travels, all, all all the usual usual. But a lot of it was just painful, really painful. Shakespeare, for example, severely painful. You know. Oh my goodness! In, in, in my little in my little naive mind, I thought, well, some some of this stuff is really rubbish. I'm sure I could do better than that. I'm sure I could. And I thought to myself that if I was just to write a page a day and put it in a locker somewhere, and at the end of the year, I'd have 365 pages. Now, surely that would make a book. And that, and that, and that was how my thinking started, and that's, that's really how I started writing. And the importance of White, the one we were discussing earlier, was it being right. my first book, it was my way of saying, yeah, I can write a book. Now, once I'd done that, it's right. like training for a marathon. You've got to build yourself up to it. Once you've done it, you know you can do it, and you're off and running. Try and stop me, you know? That's right. That's right. Now, you mentioned uh, The Loneliness of a Long-Distance Runner uh, as one of the books you did, in fact, enjoy amongst all the muck that you said you did not, like Shakespeare. Um, Any other books that affected you in a positive manner when you were younger that you can say you really enjoyed? Yeah, definitely. And this is a hard one. This is a very hard one to get your head around. James Joyce, a portrait of an artist as a young man. I thought that as a was a young great man, book. and 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 that that that's a book that that's a book that's really got it. It hasn't got a plot. It hasn't got anything. It's just it's just pure linguistics. It's stream of consciousness. It's it's very long sentences that you wouldn't get away with today. And 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 the beauty of that book, the, the beauty of that book to me, is is that its message lies in the structure. It's the way the book's constructed. The way it moves from one chapter to the next chapter to the ending, and it, it it's it's hard it's hard to explain what the imagery is behind it, but it it, it goes into uh, uh, Daedalus flying for flying for the sun with false wings, and obviously the closer he gets to the sun, the wings melt and he crashes to the ground. That that's the underlying right. uh, uh, story tied up in the book. And that's wrapped right. up with 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 a with a, a Catholic kid that gets severe beatings from the priest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that 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 to me, that to me is probably the most influential book I've read in my life. But as far as contemporary books are concerned, my favourite author has got to be uh, uh, Ian Banks, who, who who sadly passed away, I think, last year. I mean, that that guy to me, that guy to me has got the tongue, he's got the language. He, he, he to me, he had everything. Absolutely everything, but that's just the Ian Banks. Yeah, Ian Banks. Okay, he wrote under two names. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know what's amazing is that years ago, Mick, I picked up Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man by Joyce, and as you said, Mick, the book was very, very hard for me to get through. Very hard. And um, I'm not going to lie, I I put it down. I I didn't finish it. I don't blame you. No, I don't blame it. It's a really tough book. It's a really tough book. But when you understand it, or if you ever understand it, and I don't mean to be right. patronising, the penny will drop. And when that penny drops, it's like a light going on. It's like a light going Got on. It. You'll see a whole different depth in literature when the penny drops. But if it doesn't, it will pass you by like a magazine. 
Now, this makes me want to pick that book up again, so thanks for letting me know that. So, Mick... Um, well, if you leave, do, if you struggle, Skype me, and, and we can discuss it. But it's, it's, it's a, it's a powerful point. book. It's a powerful literary book. Good point, Mick. So, Mick, you know, a lot of would-be writers listen to this show, so I want to ask you a question about how you write. Some writers can whip out a pen or laptop anytime and anywhere and be creative. Um, others need a set time and a set place. Which one are you, Mick? Um, <clears throat> I, uh, if, if I'm writing properly, then I have to be organized. And I write directly, I, I, I write directly from pen to paper. And I'll write the whole lot, all in longhand, and it will be in a great big fat file. And then the next move is to sit on the computer and then, then type it all up and, and make it understandable and edit and et cetera, et cetera. And, and as to what you just said about would-be writers, there's no such thing as a would-be writer. You either write or you don't write. Okay, okay. I'll grant you that, and that's true. Uh, Mick, I see you have a vast presence on YouTube, even giving lectures on author marketing tips to writers. Um, and it looks like you're having a lot of fun. How has this video experience been for you? Right, okay, Rob, I'll have to pull you up on that one because I don't know where you've got that connection, but that's certainly not me. I've got a lot of Twitter followers. I've got uh, 24,000 Twitter followers. That's, that's, that's my main online presence, and I, and I do Facebook. But the videos must be somebody else with the same name. Certainly Wait not connected to me. You're telling me that there's another person imposturing to be Mick Mears? Yeah, I've got a hitman out. Is that what soon, you're telling so me? should be gone. Yeah, there's, there's an yeah. imposter out there that's calling himself there's a Mick doppelganger. Mears. There's that's a doppelganger. You? One. you wait till I get hold of him. He's like one who's living. <laughs> oh my God! I'm flabbergasted. Arrest that man. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh man. Okay. okay. We can't. We can't. We can't all have name like coffee machines like yours, Robert. You know. <laughs> hey Mick, let's talk oh, social media. A little clumsy thing with a moustache on. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, let's talk social media as you were just talking about Twitter. Um, are you on Goodreads also? Uh, I was on Goodreads, but I, I, I actually find the site a waste of time. So I just closed my account. I, I just really found it a waste of time. It's also owned by Amazon, so there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of genuine stuff going on on there, in my opinion. In my opinion. And, and the, the site's very, very clumsy. You know, from... From a from a media point of view, it's a very very clumsy site to use and looks incredibly dated. You know, I can't I can't understand why it is as popular as it is, to be honest. But you know, that's an opinion. Yeah, I've talked to some authors who absolutely love Goodreads. So, all right, so you're saying, and that was going to lead into my next question of all the social media platforms, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? So you're saying Twitter to you is basically the most beneficial and the one that you really get a lot out of. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's 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 just the way it's turned out. Um I mean, I've had a Facebook account, and I don't. Again, I don't like Facebook. There's something. There's something pernicious about Facebook. I can't put my finger on it. Whereas Twitter's just in and out, and you know, you can put the links on. You could, you, you know, people say that they're 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 stymied by only being able to use 135 characters. Well, that's kind of your loss, really, because if you can't if you can't condense stuff down and and, and get your point across quickly, you, you know, people lose interest. They lose interest really fast, you know. So. 
that, that's, that's why I think Twitter works for me. But, you know, again, it's horses for courses. Some people swear by some people swear by Goodreads or Facebook. That's fine. But you're getting to the stage now where there's so much out there. Where does it all stop? You know, you want Instagram, you want Snapchat. In the, you know, they, they go on and on and on. So you, you've got to... We're at a stage where you've got to be selective. You can't just keep slinging mud at the wall and, and hoping some of it will stick. You've got to be much more positive and, 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 and set on maybe just one or two sites and work them, you know? That, that's the way I feel. My opinion is, Mick, and I just deleted my Facebook account. Uh, as you I said, there's you. just something about Facebook that just I just said, you know what, boom, that's it, and I just deleted it. Um, the best, The best social media space that I loved was MySpace. Came out yeah. about 10, 12, 15 years ago. You can have a yeah. blog. You can have music. You could yeah. uh, it, it, it you can you can do everything. MySpace was the best. And then uh it got some people got a hold of it. Recording artists as well, wasn't it, Robert? It it was perfect for everything. I mean, again, if you look at how MySpace first came out, it was the best for writers, recording artists, everybody. Yeah. Um, then everybody yeah. went to Facebook. Right. Everybody went to Facebook, and it, it just changed a whole lot. So uh, I'm with you on that. So, Mick, I've never, I've never seen 30 minutes go so quickly. So in closing, Mick, you seem to be, to me, an altruistic human being and a man who's been through a whole lot. What would you say, Mick, besides your family, besides your children, um, who are, what are you the most proud of, of your accomplishments? Ooh, ooh, I don't know, really. I don't, I don't really try to think along those terms. Because um, you're saying apart from family, I don't think there's much, much more you can do than have good family, you know. It's, it's your... It's your cast for the next generation, isn't it? You know, if I bring up a decent kid, it goes on. If I bring up a shit bag or a dirt bag, you know, we're back to square one. So, you know, I mean, achievements, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I do, but I always want to do better. So, so, so maybe there never is. Maybe, maybe I'll never get there, man. Maybe I'll never have the one thing that I put up above everything and everything else because I like to keep moving, you know. I, I like to feel the best is yet to come. Straight, honest answer. Mick, if someone wants to contact you and learn more about you, um, your website, give out any contact information, please. Um, right. Um, I can be found immediately on Twitter. Um, I've got a Facebook page and a Facebook authors page. I've got a blog, uh, uh, a Weebly website, Mick Mears Books at uh, uh, Weebly. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm a bit naughty. I don't update that as 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 much as I should do. <laughs> so, you know, again, there's so much. What do you? What do I want to do? Do I want to spend all day on social media, or do I want to? Or do I want to write? What you know? Which is what I love doing. You know, you, time's precious. You got to use it right. You got to use it right. <laughs> Mick, uh, I know I had a, another question to ask you. Your Twitter handle is is what is your Twitter handle? Right, my Twitter handle is uh, Cyril Smug. Yes, Cyril's that's it. What, it's, what's the story that, that's behind that Twitter where, handle? That that's that's where it's backfired on me. The Twitter it should because you because the word is condensed together, it should be Cyril Smug. But people <laughs> think it's Cyril Smug. Smug. Right now, okay. Cyril, Cyril Smug, Cyril Smug is a character in Grumblebollock. 
He's a computer-obsessed guy in my novel Grumblebollock. So when I first set up a Twitter account, I was using him as a pseudoname, and that's how it came about. Got it, got it. I, I wanted to ask you that, definitely, because it comes off as at Cyril's mug. And, of course, over yeah. here, mug means face. <laughs> So I, I thought there was something to that. So thanks for definitely explaining that to me. Good. I'm glad you appreciate it. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author Rob Batista on Twitter. You can find my ebooks on smashwords.com and my novels, including Street Angel, on Amazon.com. My guest has been the one and only from the UK, Mick Mears. Make sure you visit his fantastic website, mickmearsbooks.weebly.com, and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Mick, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. Yo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, we got to do this again. It's been fun. Take care, Mick. Have a good night. It certainly has. Speak soon, yeah?